Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 168 of the Box Hard Podcast. This is kind of like a New Year special, I guess, although that's pretty unofficial. Um, I am your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by the infamous, the elusive, the festive feeling, probably a little bit over that, the New Year celebrating Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Joey. I'm good. How are, how are you as well? I'm very good, my friend. Very good. Right, this is going to be a slightly different show as to usual, to be honest. Um, all of our other podcast competitors have, have took a break over the festive period. There hasn't been too much boxing really to go over, so you know I can understand why a lot of people have kind of slowed it down and not really um, you know, seen the point of doing a show, but we didn't do that. We like to give you something to listen to over this this break amongst the other podcasts. So if we are um, you know, one of many that you listen to, then we're kind of making up for their for their miss work um this is going to be a show which consists of just one interview which is very unusual because there's usually you know two interviews per show last week we had three on for the christmas special but this is going to be one detailed interview that is a complete must listen it's fantastic we will be speaking later to our first guest um which will be hasim rackman the former two-time heavyweight world champion but first we're going to go over the review part of the show there's not too much to mention here then we're going to discuss the british trainer of the year which will be quite interesting um let's start though with the review side of things we're going to start here with a card that happened on sunday the 30th of december 2018 um one fight or two fight well three fights actually to mention on this bill it happened at the otter city general gymnasium in tokyo japan it was shown if i'm not mistaken on the espn plus app um we saw over here Masayuki Ito defend successfully his WBO World Super Featherweight title against the previously undefeated Evgeny Chuprakov. It ended up being a TKO in the seventh round for Ito. He's now 25 and one with one draw, and top rank will be, uh, you know, looking to put him in with Jamel Herring. I think Bob Arum's already tweeted about that, so I'm really over the moon for Jamel Herring to get his chance to finally become a world champion. Also on that bill, we saw Ken Shiro proceed to 15-0, a successful defense of his WBC World Light Flyweight title against Sal Juarez, who's now 24-9 and with two draws. That was a unanimous decision over 12 rounds. And another unanimous decision over 12 rounds on the bill. We saw Takuma Inoue. That's actually the younger brother of Naoya Inoue. He's now 13-0. and He picked up here the interim WBC World Bantamweight title against the previously undefeated 48-0 and Tasana Salapat. 48 and 0 he was. He took on um, Naoya Inoue's younger brother, and Inoue got the victory. So he takes his O there. He denied him the 49 and 0 famous um, Rocky Marciano um, goal, if you like. The you know the way he got to 49 and 0. A lot of people have stumbled on that final move there. Larry Holmes as well being one of them. So yeah, Naoya's younger brother is also a fighter to look out for. He's now 13 and 0, like I say, and he's only 23 years of age. The day after that, it was actually on New Year's Eve. It happened on the 31st of December on Monday. This one took place in China in the Wynn Palace in uh, in Macau. We saw Donny Nietes move to 42 wins. He's got one loss and five draws. It was for the vacant WBO World Super Flyweight title against Kazoto Ioka, who's now 23-2. and two. A split decision over 12 rounds there for Nietes. Very, very close fight. Also, we saw Heki Budler um, defending his WBA Super World Light Flyweight title against Hiroto. Kayaguchi, who was 11 and 0, very highly touted young pro, um, and he actually managed to stop Budla. He's the first man ever to stop Budla, and he dethroned him in 11th round TKO for Kayaguchi. 
Uh, also on this bill, we should mention Maroti Mafanlane, I think his name is said. He moved to 37-2. and It was a successful defense of his IBF World Flyweight title against Masahiro Sakamoto, who's now 13-2. and It was a TKO in the 10th round. And this guy, he's the IBF Flyweight champion. He's the guy that Charlie Edwards was trying to fight Um you know, originally, and then he ended up looking at Rosales, and obviously he won, so now this guy wants to fight um, Charlie Edwards in a unification, so that's one that we may very well see this year, um, that'd be a great fight, by the way, this guy, you know, the South African Maruti Mafanlane, I'm not quite sure if I'm saying that right, but a great, great fighter, and that's really it for the reviewing, so let's now discuss Ayaz, the trainers of the year, we're going to kind of go through all the big major trainers in the UK, one by one, now, Earlier on in the year, I remember tweeting something out, basically saying that Jamie Moore had had a fantastic year. I mean, it started great for him. Um, It's ended pretty badly. Obviously, you know, the great wins that I mentioned was the likes of Catterall beating O'Hara Davies, though it wasn't a a great fight to watch. Um, We also saw Rocky Fielding go out to Germany and cause an upset and stop Zoiga. That was amazing when he became world champion. Um, We saw Carl Frampton with a fantastic game plan that he beat Donaire with. That was a brilliant, brilliant fight there. Um, who else am I forgetting there? I know there's one or two others. Um, Rocky Fielding, who else he got? Luke Jackson, Windsor Park. True, true. Luke, Luke Jackson, Windsor Park, yeah. Um, we saw Martin Murray pick up the WBC silver title. Um, you know, he had a great start to the year, is what I'm basically trying to say. Um, with with Jamie Moore, then he kind of ran out of luck towards the end of the year, and he had an awful um, an awful few weeks. I mean, it all happened in a few weeks. Obviously, Carl Frampton lost to Josh Warrington, uh, Martin Murray lost to Hassan and Dam on that same card. Um, we had Rocky Fielding lose, you know, in the fashion that he did to Canelo. Yeah, it was a big event, but you know that was a loss there. And Catterall hasn't fought since the O'Hara Davies fight, so nothing really to mention there. I'm sure he actually looks after one or two other fighters, but I can't really think of them. I as. Um, all right, let's now talk about Dave Caldwell. I mean, you know, he he had a, a decent start to the year. Obviously, David Hay losing to. Uh, to Tony Bellew, so that was a, a big win once again for Tony Bellew. He really did put the now in that coffin, so to speak. Then he went on to lose to Usyk. Uh, Anthony Fowler's had a good year, I should mention. Um, Jordan Gill, actually, he trains with him. He's had a good year. Um, Jamie McDonald, though, obviously, he got stopped in the first round against Inoue. I mean, that was a fight where I couldn't believe it, really. Um, you know, McDonald was undefeated, I think, for 10 years, and he went out there to Japan. And, you know, he'd never been stopped or anything like that. And he got completely wiped out in a round. So that was quite quite humiliating, really. I mean, I know Inoue's a bit of a beast. But, wow, I couldn't believe that the size difference, you know, just all fell apart within a round. Um, and Gavin McDonnell, obviously, went out to the States. I as gave a good hard fight to Daniel Roman. But just, unfortunately, you know, it wasn't to be for him once again. So, um, yeah, Caldwell's had a fairly good year, like, at the lower level with Gill and, and obviously Fowler hasn't really fought anyone of note just yet. But, you know, on the world level kind of thing, Bellew and the two McDonald twins have fallen, unfortunately. Um, Adam Booth's fighters, I as they haven't had great luck. Obviously, the injury which resulted in Ryan Burnett losing his world title, Josh Kelly getting ill and not fighting David Avanesian, which was looking like a great fight. Uh, Michael Conlon's been impressive, to be honest. Um, I can't think of who else Adam Booth's got. I'm probably underselling him. Who else has he got, Eyes? You, you normally know the answer to these questions. Who does Booth train? He had Charlie Edwards, but Charlie Edwards obviously split with him. Yeah, yeah, that was earlier this year. Yeah, true. And there's another boxer called Josefa Iqbal. Uh, I'm not quite sure who, who that one is. Um, all right. That, those are the only three fighters. Okay, um, the Ingle Gym. Now that's that's a that's a funny one because you know the Ingle Gym has done okay. I mean, aside from obviously Billy Joe Saunders repeatedly having injuries and pullouts, and Kell Brook actually leaving the gym. I mean, Liam Williams has done very well. Kid Galahad also. Um, Jake Ball's fight fell through with Craig Richards, but obviously it's now been rescheduled. Um, Nicola Adams is doing well, but she didn't quite get her world title shot this year, which we all thought would happen for her. 
Um, Shane McGuigan, I mean, he's had bad luck in Saudi Arabia with George Groves, but he had great wins for Josh Taylor. Obviously, the recent link-up with Luke Campbell. We, we had Luke on last week's show. Um, you know, he, he, he helped Campbell get him in shape and prepare for the Mendy rematch in which, in which he won. So that was good. Chantel Cameron's been great as well. I give Shane McGuigan credit for that also. Um, Joe Gallagher, obviously, this year he lost Scott Cardle from his gym. He had, he had mega success with Callum Smith, like I say, beating George Groves in Saudi Arabia. Crawler is in line to get another crack at a world title. Liam Smith only fought once this year and he lost to Mungia, but he gave him a good fight. Um, Stephen Smith hasn't fought all year. Uh, obviously, Paul Smith retired. Natasha Jonas lost a huge upset, we mentioned on last week's show, to Vivian Obernauf. Callum Johnson done amazing to beat Buglioni in a round, but then he went on and lost in a very gutsy effort out in the States against Baturbiev. Um yeah, it's been a kind of up and down year. Everyone had a great start to the year. Literally everyone. All the trainers had brilliant starts to the year. And then they all kind of had bad luck towards the end of the year. Um, I can't think of a trainer. And, and maybe you can help me as well. Perhaps we'll ask the listeners. Can you think of a British trainer that had perhaps an awful start to the year, but then ended up having a great finish to the year? Um, I don't know. It's, it's difficult. I mean... I mean, I wouldn't really say that Josh Warrington's dad, who trains him, has, like, had an awful start to the year because he was still undefeated and all that. Um, You know, he's done well, by the way, so he gets a mention for British Trainer of the Year, although I'm not quite sure who else he trains. Um, Yeah, have I left anyone out in terms of all the other big kind of trainers? I mean, I'll I'll say one trainer. Um, One trainer that I'll say I'll give huge credit to is Tundi Ajay. Okay. Why? He's got Anthony Yard and he's got Mohammed Bil Al Bilal Ali. And obviously Tundi Ajay's been a very good trainer because Anthony Yard's been in all his fight with Tundi Ajay and training him. I think Tundi Ajay is one of the I think he's gonna be the one to watch out. Okay. Um I mean obviously Anthony Yard, his opposition hasn't been fantastic this year, in my opinion. Um you know, he had he had bad luck when, when his fight fell through on the Fury Wilder undercard. That was real bad luck for him. And as you mentioned there, you know, Mohammed Bilal Ali, I've seen him spar Anthony Yard, which is crazy because the weight difference is I don't even know what the weight difference is, but um, you know, he's a good a, a real good mover. Um he knows his way around the ring, but he has only had the one fight. Um who else? There must be other trainers that we're missing out here. I just simply can't think of any. I mean, Don Charles, you mentioned him kind of thing. Um, you know, he got a... Well, I mean, we all know what my feelings are about Chisora's win against Takam, and then he went on to lose uh, with, with um, you know, with, with Dillian White the other week. There is one trainer who I think is tra- should be trainer of the year. Jimmy Tibbs. Jimmy Tibbs and Mark Tibbs, okay. The reason why I'm going to say that... It's because the white, this training that he's done with Dillian White has been fantastic. You can see, look at the fights that Dillian White's had. 2018 has been a tough year for Dillian White, and you can see why. I mean, he fought Lucas Brown, knocked him out. He dropped Joseph Parker first on to drop him, and he went on to win the by points. And then he went and knocked out Derek Chisora. I mean, Mark Tibbs must, uh, had, must have had a perfect game plan with Dillian White. And I think he's been, the for me, I think he's the trainer of the year. Okay, interesting. Like I say, if anyone does have any, uh, anyone that's listening does have any trainers, any British trainers that started the year on a bad note, not just on a good note, on a bad note, and then finished on a high, remind us, let us know. There could be a T-shirt up for grabs, actually, I will say that. Um, tweets into at Box Hard Podcast on Twitter. But that's really it for part one. Just before we, we wrap up part one here, there is one last thing to do, and that is to welcome our sole guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former two-time heavyweight champion of the world. It is, of course, Mr. Hassim Rackman. Hassim, welcome to the show. My man, thanks for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure, sir. It truly is. So, Hassim, first things first, I want to start with a traditional, obvious question. Where did the journey begin in the very first place? How did you get into boxing? What age were you when you first laced on a pair of gloves? I was 20 years old. I was just on the street, got challenged to do a body puncher contest by a former boxer. I wound up getting the better of him. He told me he'd take me to the gym. I'd make a million dollars. So I said, where's the gym? And <laughs> when I got into the gym, it was almost like love at first fight. And, of course, you, you had a, a quite limited amateur career. You had 10 amateur fights before turning pro at age 22. Um, why so few amateur fights for you, Hasim? You didn't hang around too long. I was in the gym training with all professionals. 
I was the only amateur in the gym, and I was doing I was doing pretty good with every last one of them. So some guys, some Steve Nelson and Robert Miniman, the guys who signed Oscar De La Hoya for the Olympics, they um they wanted to um turn me pro. So I said, well, they believed I had more of a pro style, and uh, I said, well, I don't think I'm ready. If you don't think I'm ready, write me a check, and I'll turn pro. They wrote me a check, and I turned pro. And like you say, we, you turned pro at age 22. The pro journey began in December of 1994. Now, you put together 12 straight wins in a row, 11 by knockout, before taking your first step up. Now, Ross Purity was a guy that I think, you know, he kind of blew hot and cold. It was difficult to ever know which version of himself would show up. Um, for example, two and a half years after your fight with him, he went on to knock Vladimir Klitschko out and become the first man to ever beat Vladimir. Um, but back onto your fight, I mean, you beat him unanimously over 10 rounds. Please talk us through that and what you can remember from that fight. Yeah, I definitely remember it. Um, this guy was coming off a draw with Tommy Morrison where he dropped him three times. Um, I thought he won the fight. He was just a rough, strong guy. And, uh, I mean, I, I was... I was ready to go and try to prove myself to the world. So I was hungry. I was in the gym. I was training like I wanted to be a world champion. So, I mean, I, I fought him. I beat him every round. And uh, it was it was on the bigger and better thing. And on to bigger and better things it was. You won four fights in a row, all by knockout, before running into former heavyweight world champion Trevor Burbick, obviously the man that finished off Muhammad Ali. Now, you went on to beat Burbick on points over 10 rounds again. And at that time, how good of a win was that for you, confidence-wise? It, it actually was... I think I learned more from the Trevor Burbick fight than I probably did in any other fight to this day. Um, because he taught me something in that fight about how mental the game is. Uh, I, I dropped Trevor Burbick in the first round, pretty much had him out. And then he started talking. He just started talking to me. Boy, come on. That's all you got? Boy, come on. Boy, come on. Oh, man, I thought you could punch. Oh, come on, come on. So he really talked me out of knocking him out. Because I, I really kind of like, wow, I'm hitting this guy with everything I got. And, and and he's still talking to me. Nobody ever talked to me while I was, I mean, because I only had a, a few amateur fights, and and um, the, the, the all my pro fights was pretty much knockout. So this guy taught me something. And I, I when I go back and the, the more I learned about boxing, the more I know he just psyched me out. He just survived, and he used his mouth and his brain experience to survive. Because I had him. If you ever look, that's one of the most devastating knockdowns you're going to see. You know, um, but he talked me out of knocking him out. He, he actually talked me out of knocking him out. So, I mean, you know, I mean, rest in peace, Trevor Burby. But he, he, he actually used his mouth to get him through that fight. And then you put together another 11 wins, nine by stoppage. Along the way, you, you picked up the USBA heavyweight title. You also uh, won the IBF Intercontinental title. You knocked out Steve Pannell in two rounds. Now, in Steve Pannell's very next fight, he fought Vladimir Klitschko, and he dropped Klitschko in the first round. But like I say, uh, you know, you stopped him in two and back onto your journey. Um, like I say, 11 wins, nine by stoppage. Then you run into... David Tua. Now, of course, you were defending your IBF Intercontinental title at the time, and you suffered defeat for the very first time. Now, you were no, not... no. That's just what the record say. I beat him clearly. Go look at it. I was cheated. I've, I've I've had a little look at it. I mean, you 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 were knocked out in 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 the tenth round of twelve in a fight where you know you were winning very very wide on the scorecards. I was cheated. I was cheated. The man hit me after the bell. I, I, I want to talk about that, Hasim. I, I know. Okay. All you, all you really, all you really had to do simply was stay on your feet. You'd have won on points with ease. And allow uh, me, please, to tell the the, the story here because what happened right, go was, ahead, was quite bizarre. Uh, I want the listeners to fully understand this. In the ninth round, in the last few seconds of the round. Um, you got hit with three left hooks. The first one looked heavy. The second one kind of caught you in the neck. And then the bell clearly sounded. And Tua hit you with another left hook. Now, the problem is, the bell sounded seven times. It was ding, 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 seven times. And it was after the fifth ding 
that his final left hook landed and it visibly shook you up. You know, you were on wobbly legs going back to your corner. And most people believe, as I'm sure you believe, it played a, a detrimental part in the fact that you got stopped in the very next round. So like I say, you were on your stall for 60 seconds in between rounds. Uh, you came out in the 10th round and David Tua jumped all over you and he tried to put the pressure on you straight away. Uh, he pinged you on the ropes and he was landing shots, but most of them you were riding. You were ducking the shots as well. And, you know, you weren't really returning fire, but you were clearly still capable of defending yourself when the referee jumped in and stopped it. And, of course, you were clearly outraged. And, uh, you know, the decision that he made there was, was extremely premature, premature, the referee. What can you tell us about that fight that I haven't just described, Hassim? <laughs> you, just, you just said it like you was my representative. You should be my publicist. You said it all the right way. I mean, it's, 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 it's exact. I can't add anything to what you said. You know, um. <laughs> I can't add anything to what you said. You 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 hit it spot on. Um, so let me just say this: I don't consider it. I don't care what the record says or whatever. I don't consider it a, as a defeat. So you know, when people ask me, did did, did I lose the David Tour? No, I did not. I mean, the record can say what it wants, but you know, in my opinion, in my perception, I, he never beat me. He cannot beat me. Like I say, after that tour fight, uh, the the controversy that, that that we saw, you took on another two guys, Michael Rush and Arthur Weathers. Now you knocked both of those guys out, and then you took on Oleg Maskeyev. Now once again, it was a fight you were winning wide, and all you had to do was stay on your feet, and you'd have won a decision. But it wasn't to be. You were stopped in round eight of a scheduled ten. You were knocked through the ropes and onto the floor. Um, please talk us through that fight if you can, Hassim. A legitimate loss, surely. I mean, Oleg Maskev, I didn't really, really know who he was. I just figured this going to be somebody I'm going to knock out. Um, and I was beating him easy. And then I I was just, I didn't prepare for a 12-round fight. Simple as that. I mean, Oleg's strong. He's stronger than what I gave him credit for being. And he wound up not getting, just hit me with the right hand and and, 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 and put, putting up, I'm putting together a devastating knockout. Um, congratulations to him. I always say that um, in my heart of hearts, I know I got to say eight times out of ten, I'm going to beat him. You know, he just got it two first. He certainly did. And after that, you bounced back with three wins, two by knockout, and one of the knockout wins came against Corey Sanders. Um, you know, once again, I must mention that three years after you beat Sanders, he went on to knock Vladimir Klitschko out in two rounds. But like I say, back to your journey, uh, you know, the next fight for you was April the 22nd, 2001. You fight for the IBF, WBC, and IBO at World Heavyweight Titles against Lennox Lewis in South Africa. A fight you were a 20-1 to 1 underdog in, and I had it 2-2, I must say, going into that fifth and final round. Please talk us through the night you became the heavyweight champion of the world, Hassim, a night I'm sure you'll never, ever forget. You know, a lot of people like to say I was lucky, but um, I like to say I was prepared. I think um, luck means luck is when uh, pre- preparation meets opportunity. And uh, I was I was prepared. I mean, almost like I felt like... Uh, I used to watch. I watched the um, the Rumble in the Jungle, and I watched where Muhammad Ali was over in Africa running. And people was running with. I had that same same exact thing happen to me when I was over there. I mean, when I went running, the, the people ran with me. They, I mean, it was it was almost like it was eerie similar. You know, it was eerie similar. It was, it was um, a young Muslim guy fighting a big guy, a big big huge guy. Myself and Ali were, were underdogs. Nobody gave us a chance to win. I mean, it was it's just so many similarities that um I felt like it was gonna be the same thing. It was gonna be the same thing. It was gonna be the same outcome. I actually thought it was gonna be the same round and everything, but um it wasn't. But um Lennox, I felt like he was strong. He was he was. I I, I actually got to see some sparring of his when he got over there, and he was looking good. He was looking good. So, um, you know, we went on the front, and uh, I felt like I heard him with a shot, and he smiled at me. And I think in the fourth round, or maybe it was early in the fifth round, I remember hitting him with a good shot. Maybe it was early in the fifth round. 
after that, I said, I got to hit it with this right hand again. So um, I just backed him up to the rope, saw I opened it, and took it. And you truly did. I mean, it was uh, it was it was brutal. There was there was no uh, no taking that away from you. Like I say, I don't think you were lucky at all. I had it, um, as I say, two two going into that fifth round. It was a very very competitive, very uh, evenly fought contest up until you landed that shot that put Lewis away. Now you had the the rematch with Lewis, but am I right in thinking that before that you had that infamous brawl that took place in the ESPN studios, Hassim, which goes down as one of the yeah. most well, I don't want to say funniest, because maybe that's not the right word, but it's one of the funniest clips we've ever seen outside of the ring between two professional sportsmen. Um, I know what caused it, but how how crazy is that looking back now? It, it seemed to be so bizarre. I mean, when I look back at it, that's, that's what lost me the, the second Lennox fight. I lost that fight, the second Lennox fight, that day, right there. I lost it. I lost the fight right there because I just knocked Lennox Lewis out in five rounds. And then when we got into a scuffle, I just felt like I was so much stronger than him. Like I felt like I, I, was, I manhandled him. His bodyguard was trying to, because he had a bodyguard trying to pull me back. So I'm still able to, to, to control him with his bodyguard on me. And I felt like, oh, this guy, is, I, I felt like I'm way too strong for him. So right there in my mind, is all I got to do is land one shot and the fight is over. So now in my mind, he can't do nothing with me. It's just too much. It's too much. I'm 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 just way too strong for Lennox. And 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 I allow myself to to um believe that, thinking it's just about me, and not really giving enough respect to a great champion like Lennox Lewis, who beat everybody, went to two Olympics, and the whole nine. So I just think that um. I thought I was just way too strong for him. By the way, from that little confrontation at ESPN Studios. And like like we mentioned, Lennox Lewis did insert an immediate rematch clause in the fight contract, and the rematch did take place seven months later in Vegas. Now, this time, Lennox was able to avenge that defeat. As we say, he stopped you in the fourth. But once again, it was a very good fight up until the finish. Um, is there? Any, I know you've just kind of spoke about it a little bit. What happened mentally? How you kind of you know took your eye off the prize, if you like, thinking that you could walk through Lennox, so to speak. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, I mean, that, well, that second I, fight? not only that, but Lennox made an adjustment. He fought so cautious. He fought almost like the Klitschko used to fight, Vladimir Klitschko. He wouldn't really. He didn't really. He. They made a big adjustment. You know, Lennox was was keeping his distance. Emmanuel had a good game plan. They really didn't really let me touch him. You know, it was more like let, let's hit, not be hit. Let's use our distance. Let's use our height. Let's use um. Let's stay away. We don't want to get hit by anything. And they and they used they used that to their advantage. I mean, sort of. I, I always feel like I'm the I'm the I'm the one that um is responsible for the Klitschko the way he fought for so many years. I think. That, that 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 game plan that um Lennox Lewis implemented in the second fight, well use your use your reach, stay away, um, use your jab, time up if you get close. I think that was all put together for me. Yeah, I think that's a fair a fair point actually. I, I, that's got me thinking myself. Um, now after that after that loss in the rematch to Lennox Lewis, um, you know you could have probably took a. A pretty easy fight, but no, you went straight in with Evander Holyfield. Now, this was another fight where Evander's headbutting caused injuries. I remember Mike Tyson complaining about Evander's headbutting. Uh, you picked up one of the worst cases of swelling I've ever seen. I mean, for years and years, whenever I saw the picture of the swelling, I thought it was edited, but the fight obviously ended it ended prematurely due to the swelling. It was a technical decision after eight rounds. It was a close fight up until that point. What do you remember about that fight, Hassim? I just have to say about Evander Holyfield, he's the smartest fighter ever. You know why he's the smartest fighter ever? Tell me. Because he used his head very well. <laughs> but uh, I can tell you about the fight. Um, we was fighting. Evander was, 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 was butting me from the entire fight. And every time he would butt me, he would throw three or four or five shots, you know, like almost immediately after the butt. So that's like a strategy of his. Eventually, um, you know, the hematoma came on my head. I really, really was having trouble uh, even seeing, 
You know, I mean, now I don't know what's on my head. My head feels pregnant. Uh, it was just, it was just like, it's, it's, it was it was something I never saw before. I didn't know what was going on. You know, I didn't know if my brain was bleeding. I didn't, I didn't know anything. And so all sorts of things going through my mind. You know, I just didn't know. You know, um, I felt like Evander, Evander, I always felt like Evander had stamina problems. And, and we would, around 10, 11, and 12, you know, we we going to push, put, put, put the pedal to the metal and try to stop Evander. That was the, the whole game plan anyway. So if Evander was winning every single round, it didn't matter to me because I just felt like um, 10, 11, and 12, we're going to really see what Evander made of. And unfortunately, we never saw 10, 11, and 12. And unfortunately, we never got to fight again, a rematch to really decide it. I just feel like certain fights should you know, it should be mandated that you, you fight again. I mean, in a fight with a um a controversial ending like that, I think being for a rematch. You know, both of us were former world champions. You know, it was just, that wasn't the way, that's not the way you, I don't want to win a fight like that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and like I say, talking of rematches, then then came the David Tua rematch. Now you wanted to avenge that controversial stoppage loss, and this one went the distance. It ended up in a split draw, more controversy. But as the bell sounded for the end of this fight, this time once again, weirdly, the bell made this time. This is incredible. You probably don't even know this, Hasim. The bell in the first fight went seven times. The bell in the in the second fight went seventeen times. There was seventeen dings of the bell, and it's got to be the most dings I've ever heard to to end the boxing right. match. And because of that, you decided to quickly get your revenge and you hit him after the bell this time, and it dropped him. But of course, it didn't count, unfortunately for you. Um, what it, were your memories from that fight, Hashim? And like it I wasn't say, about it wasn't about a revenge thing. It was that he was still he was still coming. He was really trying to attack me. So I felt like he was trying to do it again. You know? I just, <laughs> you got there first. I just felt like he, this kid trying to hit me again after the bell. So I just let a quick left hook go and, <laughs> and dropped him. Talk us through that fight, Hassim. <laughs> well, I mean, David Tour is like, he's somebody that just can't beat me. My jab is just too much for him. My jab busts him up. My jab makes him bleed. My dad just swells his face up, and he just can't get past it. He one of the guys that's so easy to fight. I just, I just keep my right hand up. I take away his hook, and he, 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 he's in no man's land. He's like a fish out of water. When I take away the hook, he can't, he can't defend himself. Like he can't do anything without, without that left hook. That's his bread and butter. So I just kept punishing with the jab, punishing him, punishing him, punishing him, and uh. Same thing. I felt like I beat that fight again. I felt like I beat him twice and got zero victories on my record for it. But in my mind, and any any knowledgeable boxing fan, they know. They know. They know I beat this man twice. And then, of course, you took on John Ruiz. Now, going into that fight, you had four losses, three by stoppage, and, and one on a technical decision. Um, anything could have happened after round eight against... Evander Holyfield, but you'd never actually been outboxed and lost by decision after all the rounds had been completed. What was it like, you know, for that to happen for the first time here? You'd actually been outboxed on points. What was that like for you? I really, I mean, it was something going on with me. Um, I really didn't even want to take that fight, but I just took it anyway. Um, and I really, um, for the, for the, I, I don't even think that, that wasn't even. I didn't even try. I don't even think I tried. I was just in there, just. Going through the motion. You know, it's easy for people to say this stuff, but, I mean, I'm going to tell the truth about everything. John Reed cannot beat me. Um, He was just very, very, very fortunate and blessed that day. Um, I don't – I've never watched the fight. I just just know that there wasn't – there wasn't a – there wasn't a typical me fight. There wasn't a fight for me. I mean, I just – that was just very, very fortunate. John Ruiz was just very, very fortunate. That's all I can say about that. But he went. I give him credit. So, but he was extremely fortunate. 
And then you go on a four knockout streak before running into Cali Meehan. Now, the winner of this fight would then earn the right to fight for a version of the heavyweight world title. Um, you know, you actually forced Meehan to retire on his stool after four rounds. With that win, you became the mandatory to fight Vitaly Klitschko for his WBC world title. Now, this is, is, is the fight that unfortunately never happened. It was supposed to originally take place in April 2005. Uh, then Klitschko, of course, pulled out with an injury. It got pushed back to June 18th. As the date got closer, Klitschko's camp said he wasn't fully healed, so it got pushed back to July 23rd. He then pulled out with another injury, and the fight was set to take place on November 12th. And in the meantime, you took on Monty Barrett for the interim WBC world title. You beat him unanimously over 12. And again, you were waiting on Klitschko. And then Klitschko pulled out again with an injury. I think it was on November 7th. So five days before the scheduled fight for the uh, the scheduled date for the fight. And, and like I say, when he pulled out with that injury there, the WBC then put the pressure on Vitali and said... You know, you, you need to defend your title or you're going to lose it. And then he decided to unexpectedly out of nowhere retire. So his title was made vacant. And, you know, due to all the messing around, the WBC correctly ruled that you should be upgraded to full champion. And that's how you became a two-time world heavyweight champion. Probably not the way you wanted to win the title, Hassim. But I want to ask you, in your opinion, did Vitali not want to fight you? Or was he just the most unluckiest heavyweight champion with his injuries in history? I would say he didn't want to fight me at that time. And um, I'm I'm just speaking on that time because I, I got a lot of respect for Vitaly Klitschko. But at that time, the spawn partners he was having in camp with him, they were knocking him down. They were dropping him. And none of them hit as hard as I did. So um, I definitely think I would have knocked him out because Vitaly is uh, – Vitaly is – he's a brave – he was a brave – the braver version of the Klitschko brother. So we would have been hitting each other. He wouldn't have been – he wouldn't have took the um, Vladimir-style hit, hit. Anytime I get close, he grabbed. It wouldn't have been that. You know, um, if you look at Lennox and Vitaly, they went to war. You know, so, I mean, this this this, this Vitaly hit and get hit. You know, oh, he, he was one of the ones like, all right, I'm going to knock you out or you're going to knock me out. So I definitely think um, at, that, at that time, I would have knocked him slam out kind of like early, like one or two rounds. Wow, that is a statement. And, and like I say, in your next fight, you, you defend your WBC world title against James Tony. Now, James Tony was undefeated for nine years going into that fight. Um, you guys fought to a majority draw. One judge scoring it to you by six rounds, and the other two judges had it a draw. But they actually, those other two judges, they actually had Tony a point up going into the final round. So if you didn't win that round, it would have been a split uh, a split decision loss for you. That seems pretty crazy looking back at it. Did you agree with a draw that night or was it another bad <laughs> scorecard for you? Another bad scorecard, man. I beat this man, man. I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't know. Like, James Tony's a hard, hard guy to fight. Uh, but I, I just stayed busy. I just kept pressure on him. I just threw a lot of punches. And um, I don't I don't see how I wasn't rewarded for for my for my punches. I mean, I just don't see it. I mean, uh at that time he had Don King, he had Al Heyman, he had he had everybody. You know, he had he had everybody in his, his, his corner. You know, um but I felt like I beat him. I know I hurt him. I know I sent him I actually sent him to the hospital after the fight. He wound up before he before he can go anywhere, he wound up vomiting and getting and um vomiting blood and going to the hospital. You know, I mean, I, I I know I almost broke his liver. You know, um, I, I just beat him. It ain't it ain't a whole lot you can say. You look at the fight. Um, I just beat him. He landed some shots. Okay, fine. But I landed the vast majority of shots, um, and just and I just and I just murdered his body. And then you defended your title against your former foe once again, Oleg Maskaev. A very close fight going into the 12th and final round. One judge had you up. Uh, two judges had him up. It was close on all the cards, but Maskaev was once again able to secure a late knockout. Now, you lost the WBC world title here. Tell me this, Hasim. Maskaev was obviously a good fighter, but you at your best, I feel, would have always beaten him at his best, despite him winning both of the fights against you. Some people don't believe in this, but sometimes in boxing, people have got bogeymen. Do you believe that perhaps he was your bogeyman? 
I mean, it's, it's clear. It's clear. Uh, I, I, I just, I just, I really can't explain it. Like, like I say, I beat him eight out of ten times. He just, he just happened to win his two. But he, I don't, I don't see like guys that I knock out in the gym knocked him out. You know what I'm saying? Like guys that, I mean, it's just, it's, it's the weirdest thing ever to happen to me. I mean, I just don't get it. So yeah, he is my boogeyman. I just don't get it. I mean. I just don't get it. Even to this day. <laughs> I still don't get it. I'm, I'm a very logical man. I just can't put it together. And you came back with four wins on the spin before the James Tony rematch. Now, everyone wanted some kind of definitive decision here to wipe out the previous draw between you both. Um, but this one ended even more bizarrely. The fight ended after the third round because in that third round, um, James Tony caught you with a headbutt that opened the cut above your your eyebrow. Now, you claim that you couldn't see out of your eye. And in the corner after the third round, the ringside doctor stopped the fight. Um, Tony started celebrating. Everyone thought it was going to be announced as a no contest, but it was announced as a TKO victory for him. Uh, Tony once again started celebrating after that, and it took a whole week for the decision to be overturned, and it was in the end ruled a no contest. Controversy in boxing, Hasim, since when? <laughs> well, you know, maybe that should have been my name, Mr. Controversy. Um, well, you know, I, I look at it, I look at that fight when, when once he headbutt me, that's when he started. Like I was having trouble seeing. That's when he landed clean, clean shot because I can't see out of that that, that 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 side like that. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna. Um, I'm in really his hometown. California was his his place. There's no title on the line. I'm not gonna put myself in that position. You know, man. Now all of a sudden you you landing shots because I'm I'm handicapped. Nah, we're not doing that. And I don't like him either. You didn't like him either, you say? No, I don't like James Tony. So, man, so he's like the only fighter I've ever fought that I just don't like. Okay. And five months later, you find yourself in the ring with the then IBF and IBO and WBO world champion Vladimir Klitschko. Now, during this interview with you here, I've referred many times um, back to when you've beaten fighters that have gone on to knock Vladimir out or give him serious problems. Um, but in this fight, of course, you were stopped in the seventh round. And this is a fight that many believe at this point in your career, Hasim, you were finally on the decline. Um, you know, should the fight have happened a lot sooner than this, then, you know, it could have been very, very different. Like I say, with, with comparing the, the opponents that you both fought, would you agree that you were finally on the decline here? Yeah, I'm definitely um one hundred percent. I mean, after after the um James Tony fight, if I can go back again, I would just retire right then. Every everybody I fought after that didn't get they didn't even get a forty percent version of me, you know. So, I mean, but that people don't notice. People can't really. Well, you got in there and fought. You got the money, you, you know. So you know you're responsible. So I own everything I ever did, but. That's really not. That's it's really not me. That's like, um, I don't want to change the topic or nothing. But Roy Jones was one of the best fighters ever, and people got victories over Roy Jones that would have never gotten those victories over Roy Jones in his prime. But when sometimes when we stay in there too long, and people get victories over us that they may or may not would have would have would have gotten otherwise, if they fought us when we was uh in our prime. So you know, I definitely was um was 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 not taking boxing serious at the time, and on top of that, with my age, um, I should have I should have retired, but I didn't. So I owned it all. And talking of age, 15 months after that Klitschko fight, you returned to the ring age 37, and you actually went on to have a five-fight knockout streak. All knockouts came within six rounds, and then, of course, you got thrown in against the then-undefeated WBA regular world champion Alexander Povetkin, and it was just a few weeks away from your 40th birthday at the time. You got stopped in the second round. Um, you know, you clearly said there that you kind of wish you retired before this, but looking back now, is that a, is that a fight that you kind of regret taking now, Rack? Well, I mean, I, I, I was dehydrated the, the night before I was in the hospital. So, you know, uh, 
I definitely shouldn't have took the fight, you know. And and even if I would have took it, and I'm I'm dehydrated less than 24 hours before I fought him. So I just clearly told you that I would, I, you know, anything after the after the James Tony fight, um, before I even fought him the second time, I should have retired. I should have just retired, but I didn't. So I mean, like I said, I own it. Um, you know, and 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 Pavekin, I just you know, you know, I I like to call him. Lance Armstrong. So, you know, I just feel like, you know, something, you know, he just reminds me of Lance Armstrong. I just leave it at that. <laughs> I think everyone knows what you mean by that. And and, and finally, you, you fought once more and you were age 41. It was a three-round fight in New Zealand. You were outpointed by a guy that wouldn't have lasted a round with you in your prime. And like I say, you retire with a record in the end of 50 wins, 41 big wins by knockout, nine losses and two draws. Um, a lot of the time, Hassim, in boxing, we see guys that just don't know when to hang up the gloves. Sometimes they do know when to hang the gloves up, but they just can't. Were you one of those guys? Did you find it difficult to walk away in the end? Uh, I always like... See, my mentality is such that I grew up fighting, right? And and I would fight anybody to this day. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, I don't look at... I got a problem differentiating fighting from boxing. You know what I'm saying? So my mentality is that I'll fight anybody, anytime, anywhere. And I always used to say, and this is this is foolish, but this was my mentality, that um, if I seen any of them guys I ever fought on the street, and 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 we had an issue, we we gonna fight right then and there. It's, it's, I have no problem with that, with no man in the world, at any age to this day. So that was always my mentality. Like I don't, I'm not gonna turn down the fight. I don't. It don't really matter, you know. But then I, I mean, just with 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 um. With age come wisdom, and I just had to just really realize that I'm going to wind up getting hurt with one of these 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 um, young guys. I mean, guys is using all types of performance enhancing things like that. Um, so um, it just it just had to hit me like, look, you you're not really on a level playing field. So um, and I honestly believe, I honestly believe in my heart of hearts. The only person ever beat me that that wasn't on um that wasn't doing the Lance Armstrong was Lennox Lewis. Wow, that really is something. But you, you say there, Hasim, about um, even to this day, you know, anyone you you you'd, there's a reason why I'm not in front of you doing this interview and it's over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you a couple of kind of quicker questions, um, Hassim, just coming down to the last couple that I've got for you. Who would you say, if you can cast your mind back and think back, who would you say is the best fighter that you've ever fought or sparred? And also, who's the hardest puncher that you ever fought or sparred over the years? Um, well, I had to say Lennox, but on a, on a, punching, on a punching tip, I think I'm... I, I, Lennox is right there. I had to give you a one and a one A. Um, Lennox is definitely a hard, super hard punch. But Corey Sanders was hitting me with shots from from I would like I like to say from the wrong side. I mean, he was a southpaw, fast, and um, and 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 he was just like it wasn't supposed to be this way. He was supposed to regular jab, but he hit me with a southpaw jab and hook, and it was and he was so quick. And strong, so I would have to say it would be Lennox and Corey Sanders would be the hardest punches, and um, and uh, I mean by far Lennox hit harder than um anybody. I mean Lennox and Corey hit hit me harder than anybody I ever fought. And who was the best fighter that you ever shared a ring with? Would it be Lennox again? I really can't. I really it'd be be hard for me to give it to anybody else. It would be hard for me to give it to anybody else. I mean, this man went to two Olympics. This man beat everybody he ever fought. Uh, gold medalist, um, just you know, I, Lennox. I just think he, I think he's all time great. I gotta give him like top two or three guys ever to put on the gloves. Yeah, I think many agree, especially those uh, those those people from this side of the water. Uh, big big Lennox Lewis fans over here. And what are you up to now, um, Hassim, in your life now? Obviously, aside from 
um, you know, having a hand in Michael Hunter's career at the moment. You've got two sons at box. They're both undefeated. Um, Hassim Rackman Jr., he's been on this show before, obviously fighting at heavyweight, and also Sharif Rackman. Tell us about those guys. Um, obviously, Hassim, like I say, he's been on the podcast before, speaking about how proud of his father he is. Yeah, well, I mean, I just want them to, to um, learn from my mistakes, and I want them to... Uh, to just know that boxing is a full-time job. It's a full-time job. You should, I mean, a lot of a lot of people take breaks and take time off, and they may or may not get in the best shape they were in. I don't want that to happen for them. I want them to stay in the shape, stay on the grind, get better every week, every month, every year. You should be getting better, better, better. The minute you, you, you start declining, get out, get out. Um, so, um, I mean, I just think that they both have potential, but um, you know the problem with potential, man, you ain't did anything yet. So um, potential can go 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 right or left. So uh, I just I'm just praying for them and hoping that they uh, that they keep they keep keep their foot to the to the to the pedal and uh, keep pursuing this thing in the right manner. And I believe that they could um, they could do something special. But only, only, there's a lot of guys out here that can do something special. You know, you got to really, really, really believe in yourself and believe in your team and uh, do your due diligence all the time, all the time. Yeah, very well said. Very true words there. Like I say, for anyone that's listening, once again, um, Hassim's two sons, Hassim Rackman Jr., heavyweight, that's doing really good things at the moment, and also Sharif Rackman. And like I say, he's, if you like, adopted son, uh, Michael Hunter, that's doing unbelievable things at the moment at heavyweight. Um, my final real question for you, Hassim, is I, w- I want to ask you this one. We've gone through your whole career and what you're doing now. Are you content in life right now? Are you happy? Are you a happy man? Oh, I'm ecstatic. I'm ecstatic. I um I, I, I feel like um, you know, if I died today, if I died today, most people won't won't ever be able to do what I've did done. But um I'm doing so many things with my life right now that um when I when I when I die and my great 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 grandkids talk about me and hear about me and when they start talking about their great 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 granddad, you know you know how it would go? This is how to go, military. They're going to say, oh, my great-grandgrand did this, he did that, he did this, he did that, he did this. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he was heavyweight champ. <laughs> That's how the story going to go before I get out of here. For sure, man. That is that is a, sensa- a sensational thing. And it's been a pleasure going through everything with you, Hassim. Finally, just before we let you go, I want to give you an opportunity just to send a closing message to any of your UK supporters, your UK fans out here that support you. What's your message to those guys from across the pond? Man, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I, they, can, they can always they, they can get to me on um, on on Instagram. It, I mean, that's the only social media site that I have, but it's just Hasim Rock Rockman. Just holler at me. I holler back. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to coming over there with Michael Hunter. So, you know, I'll see you guys soon. I don't know how happy y'all gonna be with us because Michael coming to uh you know, we, we would love some of the some of that some of some UK action with with any of your top guys. So uh look for us soon. We certainly will, and I, I, I really will look forward to that. But listen, Hassim, I'd like to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute honor to go through your entire career. Um, I wish you the very best of luck in the future with everything that you are involved in. And like I say, just before I let you go, Happy New Year. I, I wish you a, a brilliant 2019, my friend. My man, I appreciate it. Happy New Year to you too. And all my UK fans, haters, and the whole nine. I love y'all. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. There is one part to go to just before we get on to the next segment, which is going to be really bizarre. I should have probably said it at the top of the show. I should have said there's going to be some real bizarre um, storytelling. I'm going to tell a story what you're not going to believe in a moment. But um, before we get on to that, Ayaz, what have you got for us on the news? Obviously, there's no preview in this week. Um, so James Digger will face Chris Eubank Jr. on ITV box office on February the 23rd. Yes. 
Um, it's an interesting fight. It really is. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Obviously, James DeGale vacated his title in order to not take on Uzcat guy. And now he, you know, he basically said that he did that because he wanted a bigger fight. And then there was quite a while that went by and we were unsure of what's going to happen. And it's finally been announced now. He's going to be taking on Chris Eubank Jr. Um, for me... For me, if I'm being honest, I think it depends on what DeGaulle's got left. He didn't look his usual self in either of the Caleb Truax fights. Um, it was like he got old overnight before the first one when he lost. And I just couldn't believe what we were seeing. I mean, he's very, very tough. He's never had to show his chin before like that. And he really showed a great chin. Um, obviously, in the rematch, he did okay to outpoint Truax. But he still didn't look his vintage self. And I'm not quite sure we're ever going to see his vintage self again. Perhaps he's just over the hill. But it happened so suddenly that it was almost unbelievable. Um, Chris Eubank Jr., on the other hand, you know, limited. Not as good in terms of being as well-rounded as James DeGale, I don't think that the superior boxing skills with Chris Eubank at all. The one thing that Eubank does have, though, is a very, very good work rate. Um, you know, he's extremely fit. I think James DeGale in the mid-rounds, we've always said it, he seems to fade away. He seems to take his foot off the gas, whatever it is. I don't think his fitness is his strongest point, and that could be his undoing here. I think that Chris Eubank Jr. could end up forcing a stoppage late on, and that's my honest prediction. I know it's very bold, and I'm, I'm intrigued to see what the odds are going to be for that because I'd like to put some money on that if the odds are um, are inviting. How do you see the fight playing out, Ayaz, before I talk about this bizarre story that no one, including yourself, will believe is true? I mean, we just have to see what which James DeGale appears. I mean, obviously the, the reason DeGale didn't look good in this Truex fight is because he came back after a long shoulder injury and obviously when you come back from a long shoulder injury, you're, um, you've had a, you've had ring rust in that and I thought therefore James is going to look right, but I want to see how he looks. I mean, obviously, um, Chris Eubank's um, speed rate is going to. We're going to see how how much how good Chris Eubank Jr. is when he fights someone like James DeGale, obviously because of the speed wise. But I think I still think James DeGale will win that fight. Okay, yeah, it's going to be very interesting when the prediction league comes back. I think it's going to probably come back within the next week or two. Um, but yeah, I'm going to tell a little story here, and I want you to also listen to this, Ayaz, because it is quite remarkable. It's about um, something so coincidental that it will make you rethink your religious beliefs. I mean, all of us know Spike O'Sullivan, um, you know, we all know him as a fighter. We all know who that is. That's the first step in this in this crazy story. Well, weirdly enough, there was a fighter back in the early 1900s called Spike Sullivan. So not Spike O'Sullivan, but just Spike Sullivan. Now, that's a bit coincidental in itself. I mean, but who knows? Maybe Spike O'Sullivan named himself after this guy. I mean, he, he didn't, but, you know, you could say that. Now, the facts are going to get weirder and weirder here. And another weird fact about these two is that they were both... You know, they were both Irish. Um, that might not be incredibly surprising. They were both born in Ireland. I mean, you can see their name Sullivan, so you, you'd, you'd expect that anyway. But they were actually born in two different cities that are just 30 minutes apart. So very, very close together. Now, another weird coincidence. Both of them, both of them, when they made their debuts, uh, they knocked their opponent out in the final round of the fight. Now, Spike O'Sullivan's debut was on the 26th of the month. Spike Sullivan's debut happened on the 25th of the month. Not, not exactly coincidental there. There's, you know, there's a day apart, but still 25th and 26th, quite close. Here's another coincidence. Both men knocked out opponents named Quigley. Spike O'Sullivan knocked out Nick Quigley, and Spike Sullivan knocked out Jerome Quigley. Now, brace yourselves, ladies and gentlemen. It's about to get a whole lot weirder. Spike Sullivan decided to completely uproot and move from Ireland and relocate to Boston, Massachusetts, USA. Whilst he was there, he fought a number of times in Boston. Spike O'Sullivan coincidentally, has fought in Boston, Massachusetts five times or more, if I'm not mistaken. Now, in Spike Sullivan's second-to-last fight, he fought an American in Canada, and he got knocked out. In Spike O'Sullivan's second-to-last fight, he took on Lemieux. He fought a Canadian in America and got knocked out also. Spike O'Sullivan currently has got 29 wins to his name, 20 by knockout. Spike Sullivan, in his first 29 wins, had 19 knockouts. It's so crazy. Like, just one knockout apart there so close stats once again and i've saved the best little bit till last here you'll need to grab a duvet before you hear this one because it's guaranteed to make you shiver you're gonna think i'm making this up as well as spike o'sullivan was born on july 14th 
Spike Sullivan was born on July 14th. They share the same damn birthday. Spike Sullivan um, did go on to have a, well, a very, very, very catastrophic ending to his boxing career. He finished his boxing career in 1910, 74 years before Spike O'Sullivan was born. But like I say, his career did end in some awful circumstances. He fought a guy in his final fight in 1910. And by the way, Spike Sullivan hadn't boxed for five years, so he was coming off a serious five-year layoff. And he took on a guy that was making his debut. Not only that, but he was also a, a late replacement. And Spike Sullivan went on to win the fight by knockout in the sixth round. And when he knocked his opponent down, his opponent landed hard on the canvas. And he never, ever regained consciousness. And he later died. And strangely enough, no one even knew the opponent's true identity. Because he was a last-minute replacement. And therefore, he was never, ever identified. So a, a crazy twist there. And Spike Sullivan never, ever boxed again. And, you know, he obviously passed away at some point. And I think he's come back alive, I, I believe now in re reincarnation, to the same name, the same city, and the same journey, Spike O'Sullivan, um, I've told him about this, and even he can't believe it, it's such a crazy, 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 crazy thing, but that's my weird story, um, this has been a, a unofficial New Year's kind of show, there wasn't too much to go over, there's no fights, no one's really relevant this week, we do like to get relevant guests on the show, someone that perhaps fought this week or is fighting this this, this weekend or perhaps fought last weekend, but there's none of that, it's been a break um, in terms of boxing and also podcasting, but we've carried on through the, the holidays and we've brought you a show each week, we haven't failed to deliver, and like I say, we had Hassim Reckman telling his entire career story story on the show earlier on and we brought you the the review part of the show we talked about the trainers of the year in britain and there is my bizarre story to cap it off and that really wraps up what has been a very interesting and very different podcast here and from myself and i as we'd like to wish you all a very happy new year